When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. I got Tanner Emke back here meet with me from CoBank, and this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by AgDirect. Tanner is uh, with CoBank, and he's part of the Knowledge Exchange Group, and he is primarily focused on the uh, the grains part of what's going on there. So, Tanner, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right, Casey. Great to be back. Yeah, I'm glad to have you back, man. So, um, you and I have been doing this for a long time now, having these these podcasts, and we've really never had anything where we had to scratch our head to think about what we were going to talk about. And this, this week's no real different. If you, this time around, it's not really different what we've seen in the past. So there's a lot of stuff going on geopolitically, you know, so Russia kind of, you know, blowing up the dam that they saw was flooded the Dnieper river kind of went down into uh, Kherson and what they did that have done there. And then if you look at how that's playing out in the geopolitical side of things, that that's pretty much a sign of desperation on their part. And they're, you know, doing a bunch of uh, kind of throwing their hands up in the air about the, the Black Sea agreement that that they've agreed on about what three weeks ago, four weeks ago, about you know that we're going to do this for another you know sixty days or so, and that that quickly dissolved pretty fast. So I guess 
geopolitically speaking, you know, throw China in the mix there too, what they're buying. They're buying a lot from Brazil, not a lot from us, but um, they're, I guess, um, they're firing up of their economies, not quite as fast as what people had expected or thought, thought it should be compared to what we saw in the United States. So I guess from a geopolitical thought process right now, as you take a look at what's going on in the overall economy of the ag world there, Tanner, what's your thoughts and, and how are you kind of thinking through some of these things? Well, let's first of all, uh, just take a look at what's going on with global prices and with where the U.S. compares globally. And we're still trading at a premium to everybody else. Uh, we've got a few things going on there for corn, wheat, and beans. Uh, you'd mentioned uh, what's going on over in U- Ukraine and Russia uh, with the whole dam explosion and that, you know, there were some concerns there that uh, there was that was going to send more uh, export demand back to the U.S., especially for corn and wheat, uh, because of concern, or the geopolitical concerns there that uh, that was Russia sabotaging uh, uh, not only Ukraine's uh, agricultural production uh, in that part of the in that part of the country, but also signaling there also that they're not going to be continuing uh, the the uh, Black Sea Grain in, uh, Initiative. Uh, because of you know the, they're in a war and uh, the fog in the fog of war these things uh, are hard to figure out. Uh, but really, th- that really complicated things. So when you look at U.S. wheat prices, uh, we're still at a very large premium uh, to the Black Sea region, uh, and that's because we've got a big drought in this country, and so the market is trying to uh, prevent those bushels from leaving the U.S. Uh, but at the same time, Russia is still moving record large amounts of wheat onto the global market. And so uh, that's important because Russia is the price setter in the world wheat market. And uh, we're trading at a major premium to, to Russia. So uh, I think that's uh, one dynamic we need, we need to can continue to remind ourselves of is that whatever's happening uh, geopolitically, Russia has been exporting record large, amount, record large amounts of wheat with the aid of also Australia. They had a record wheat crop again this year, and they've been, uh, they they had uh, been exporting a fair amount over this past year as well. So whatever is going on geopolitically, um, we're gonna have the, you know, those geopolitical scares, but because we've got so much uh, exportable surplus coming from uh, major exporters like Russia and, and Australia, that dampens that, uh, fear of scarcity. If you take out those two countries, things get pretty tight pretty quick. And we've got a lot of things right now to be concerned about specifically for wheat. And I'll talk about corn and beans here in a moment. But we've got drought here in this country, and we're going to have a very small harvest uh, in the U.S. We've got drought up in Canada, their major exporter. We are now experiencing dry conditions across much of Europe. It's getting concerningly dry across much of Ukraine and central Russia in their uh, crop growing regions. So these things, the, these, uh, this abundance is starting to uh, become more concerning now where, where we, it, we could quickly start to see a situation where global uh, stocks in the next crop year uh, get very tight, at which point the U.S. is going to have to become a lot higher uh, on our prices uh, to stop the flow of exports uh, into a very tight global export market. Uh, same thing with corn. Uh, you know, we've seen uh, 
you know, phenomenal exports, not out of Russia, though, but it's been coming out of uh, Brazil. And Brazil's uh, prices are far below the United States. And so when you have that export bid so far below the U.S., that kind of dampens any enthusiasm there might be behind uh, any of these geo- geopolitical stressors. But remember, you know, it all, we're only one crop away from a disaster, and that's why we're looking at what's going on in the U.S. with how dry it's getting. And it's starting to get a little dry out there across much of the Midwest. We've seen it very dry for a long time on the plains. That drought is now spreading east uh, into the Corn Belt, and it's still early out of the season. Here we are, uh, call it around mid-June. By the time July rolls around and we have not had any substantial rains, uh, things are going to get a little concerning uh, for the corn balance sheet uh, for the U.S. and for the world. And so, again, all of these things uh, are you know, kind of on the back burner as long as we have these major exporters like Brazil and Russia moving lots of commodities into the global uh, marketplace. As soon as those, uh, those, uh, that abundance starts to shrink and we start to see some smaller crops with other major exporters like the U.S., things can get pretty scary pretty quickly. It doesn't take much. And once we start getting into, like I said, the critical month of July, Things are going to get really volatile uh, if we have not had a rain in the Midwest uh, between now and then. And then same thing with soybeans. Uh, again, Brazil, been mo- they've been moving um, record tonnages out and into the world export market. China's been taking a huge amount of that. Uh, same thing there with corn. And that explains why we've had so many cancellations from the Chinese. A lot of people are trying to tie this to the geopolitics of what's going on with Russia and China's support of Russia. That's not it at all. It has to do with price always. Uh, It's always price. And the Chinese found much lower prices down uh, in Brazil. And so they canceled their U.S. orders and switched them uh, to Brazilian origin. So that's really what has been pressuring us uh, in the, the commodities and the ag commodities over the last several weeks uh, and then add in, into this uh, the speculative selling that we've seen. Now, here in the last week, speculators have been net buyers. They started adding length in uh, across the uh, ag commodity complex. Uh, but if you go back to the last several weeks, uh, what have the funds been doing? They've been selling. And why did they sell? Well, they no longer see inflation as that threat as it used to be. And we can talk about the CPI numbers that came out today. Inflation has been coming down. And if you're a money manager and uh, you're looking at uh, the erosion of the value of your investments every day because of inflation, what do you do? You got to hedge against that. And how do you hedge? You go out and buy commodities. Well, inflation has been slowing. And so we've seen over the last several weeks uh, managed money paring back their net long positions in agricultural commodities. Uh, and that has been put, adding further downward pressure. Now, all, again, all it takes is a me- major weather scare and perhaps another geopolitical disruption. Uh, we, you know, we, going back to the Black Sea grain deal, let's say that gets undone and there's more uh, grain uh, stranded in Ukraine. Now the world balance sheet tightens a little bit. It stays dry in the U.S. It gets tightened uh, tightened a lot more, and now. All, you have a bull market uh, forming very quickly. And so the managed money 
uh, is looking at this and saying perhaps they don't want to be on the wrong side of that trade. And so now here recently, they started going net long again. So a lot of things there uh, moving in the background of of uh, this global export, enhanced global export piece uh, from our competitors in Russia and China. They have been covering up, if you will, a lot of this, these geopolitical concerns because they have so much supply. But once they, once that supply goes down, we're going to, you know, you're, you're going to see a lot more uh, volatility. And I think uh, going around the world and you look at the dry, the dry conditions across Europe, Russia, Ukraine, the United States, uh, you look at uh, in ha- rising uh, uh, global usage, you could see a picture unfold uh, fairly quickly uh, where we'd see a lot more volatility. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, <clears throat> so I'm glad you brought that up because if you take a look at like like India, for example, and where they've been at for the last seven years, they've had just an un- incredible amount of crops. They've been yes. able to sugar, rice, wheat, whatever. I mean, anything they've cotton, whatever they can produce, they just had incredibly, we're starting to see some, uh, some, some slide back on what they have as far as their crop production goes now, just because of weather conditions. So <clears throat> exactly. So Brazil's got an opportunity to to really come out here and make a, make a quick sprint out to the front. But like you said, once those, you know, sooner or later, Brazilians are going to step back and say, all right, cool. We need to keep some of this for ourselves now. And it's just not going to be readily available for that for what we see happening there. And like you said, if we do continue down this, this, uh, this drought pattern that we're seeing right now, it's going to play a, a, a big effect on the overall market, especially just because like you said, we're like, we're one crop away from having a, having a disaster and, and things are kind of pointing in that direction right now. I don't want to be the, the, you know, the chicken little here, the sky's falling, but there is, there is definitely the uh, opportunity right now that we're seeing for things to gear up into that because even the places that are dry right now didn't have the, a lot of places didn't have the subsoil moisture to offset being dry. They're, they're going into dry soil conditions into drier weather patterns. And it's just, it's wreaking havoc on what we see out there right now. Yeah. The, the, the number I usually look at is the global stocks to use ratio. And right now, uh, you know, corn stocks to use is coming up just a touch. If we have any problems um, that develop, where we have a um, much lower, uh, tr- we have yields that are below trend line. Uh, that will pull that'll uh, pull our global stocks to use ratio down even lower uh, to even more historical levels. So we, the world needs the United States to come out with a big crop like the USDA is currently forecasting. But if these dry conditions continue, the the, the market is going to start redoing the math and saying, "Wait a minute, we're not going to have the surpluses there that we need." Uh, given the expanded usage uh, for commodities, uh, you know, this year. So uh, things can change pretty quickly. And, you know, we, I forgot to mention El Nino. Okay. Uh, one thing there is that that is not good news for another major exporter, and that is Australia. Uh, El Nino turns hot and dry for Australia. And I remember back several years ago, they had several years or a few years back to back of El Nino. And it was just uh, very depressing times in, in Australia where they had very small crops back to back to back. And yeah. the world balance sheet got pretty tight and uh, some pretty volatile times. 
so we got to keep an eye on what happens there with El Nino. Now, that's El Nino is supposed to be positive uh, for rainfall for much of the U.S. Uh, we'll, we're apparently not seeing we're clearly not seeing that Ryan right now in the Midwest. We're seeing it out further west where I am in Colorado. It's been raining constantly. It's been raining every day now uh, for a little while, and so, but we're not a major uh, corn, wheat, or soybean producer. Uh, we, we do produce uh, wheat in eastern Colorado, but it, it's not going to be enough to move the balance sheet. So anyway, those are you know, a lot of these things currently are in a position where um, we're depending upon the world is depending upon these exportable surpluses out of Brazil and Russia uh, to keep prices down. But once those surpluses are depleted, now we can, we have a reckoning of what are the what are what is the production potential following those crops and we can end up in a tight situation. Yep. Yep. Okay. So another thing is talk a little bit about this from your perspective, as you look around, you take a look at interest rates and what they're doing to uh, on-farm income and, you know, servicing debt and those kind of things and start looking at, um, you know, uh, lines of credit that, that are being issued out to operating capital and those kind of things being issued out there. What that, does that look like? Um, you take a look at where we are from 2022 going to 23. Um, the on-farm income is all. I think a lot of that kind of got deferred over into 23 a little bit as far as capital goes. Um, it hasn't yeah. slowed down the sale of, of uh, equipment yet, um, but it's it's there's that that's creeping into the conversation more and more. I guess as you take a look at, at what you're doing there, and then some of the folks like Ken Zuckerberg that are that are tracking that that farm supply. What does that look like? And those those things out there as far as inputs go. I guess when you're looking at that in the conversation you're having with your your counterparts at CoBank, how is interest creeping into this into the conversation, and are you starting to see a slowing of of the ag economy because of it? Well, it's obviously going to slow down the the entire economy. That's the intent sure. uh, to slow down the co- slow down borrowing, and you know it's going to be hard for some. Uh, for some people out there who have to borrow, let's say, uh, let's say in the grain trade, we just came out with a paper here recently on the cost of carry, and it's going to be record high this year. Well, you can't not borrow against that uh, that inventory, and so uh, your cost of carry is going to be elevated, and that's going to be widening basis uh, in a lot of areas depending upon an elevator's uh, debt structure. Uh, but to the larger farm economy, uh, you have to imagine uh, that it will. Uh, slow down land purchases, machinery purchases, things like that, and cause farmers to delay purchases till some to some other day uh, where they don't have to borrow as much. Uh, this is also in a year where we're seeing net farm income come down from last year's record high. We had record high commodity prices last year. Uh, right now, we're seeing uh, that catch up. You know, commodity prices have come back a bit. Uh, whereas cost of production has remained fairly elevated. And so what that means then is we're going to see net farm income come down this year. Uh, and then at the same time at an elevated borrowing cost. Well, what that means then is you're going to have a farmer there who's got less cash uh, to buy uh, inputs or, or, or to buy machinery or, or to buy land or to chase um, uh, cash rents. And at the same time, the the cost of taking out debt is going to be coming at a higher cost as well. And so there's a lot of the uh, the wind is going to be taken out of the sails 
uh, of a lot of farmers and ranchers compared to last year. Now, you'd mentioned there's some carryover income, and that's absolutely true. Uh, you know, you and I were talking about talking earlier about how machinery sales have remained very strong at the, based on the latest data. And that's all being driven from money that was made last year. You know, farmers are just, they paid down debt. They have, they still got cash in the bank. They still have uh, ability right now uh, to buy land and to buy machinery and to perhaps chase cash rents higher. I would imagine, and this is what I think a lot of other economists are expecting, uh, that tailwind is going to go away. Uh, it's not going to disappear necessarily. I mean, if you're in an area where you have higher yields, that's great. I mean, you're going to be able to make it through another great year. Um, but if you're in an area where your yields are a lot lower because of drought and commodity prices have not come back, uh, not returned to their to the levels they were previously, uh, well, then that's going to be taking uh, money at, money out, uh, or that's going to be shrinking your cash flow compared to what you saw last year. And so farmers are going to have to uh, become more conservative. So I would imagine, uh, generally speaking, across the ag economy, we're going to see a slowdown uh, based on that dual impact of um, lower commodity prices, um, higher input costs, higher production costs, and higher borrowing costs. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's gonna. I think twenty four is gonna be a lot, a lot different picture than what we saw in twenty three. Just as as things kind of settle in, settle out, um, depending on what happens with commodity prices and those kind of things. But <clears throat> like you said earlier, you know, bushels are what what can make things happen. Not so much the uh, and you make it up on the marketing side of that. So that's a that's a yeah. Bushels pay the bills. Uh, you can manage the marketing plan, but you don't have bushels to sell. It doesn't matter what the price of corn is. You gotta have bushels. Hard to get a hard to get someone to pay for bushels you don't have. That's for sure. For sure. All right, Tanner, good stuff as usual. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what you're doing over at uh, CoBank, what's the best way to do that? And he's fun said CoBank.com, C-O-B-A-N-K.com. Right on. And you're out on uh, Twitter at is it at Tanner M. Key? Is that is that are you That's correct. Right. At Tanner M. Key, T-A-N-N-E-R-E-H-M-T-E uh, on Twitter. I think I'm seeing them on LinkedIn. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right. So all right, good stuff out there. The folks from CoBank, there's a lot of great information out there on their website for free. And good stuff. Go check that out. And then also check out what those guys post out there on uh, the Twitterverse as well as LinkedIn, because again, a lot of good stuff comes up there. So Tanner, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me, Casey. All right, man. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. And go over and see the video version of this at at the YouTube channel, which is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Go to LinkedIn. Um, I'm sorry, I said that. Go to uh, Moving Iron Podcast webpage, which is movingironllc.com. You get all the information. Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. Check that. Or, yeah, 11th through the 13th at in Nashville, Tennessee, and you'll get all the information there as well. So, with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Tanner Emke. Let's go, Smart folks. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. 
No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here.